Hey, it's Mark. Last week, a Los Angeles judge ruled that a 2018 California law requiring companies headquartered in the state to have a minimum number of women on their board is unconstitutional. The ruling was a setback, not only for California's efforts to mandate board diversity, but a disappointment in light of the ongoing push to diversify boards of both public and private companies across the nation, including those in healthcare. That effort was starting to bear fruit. According to rating service Moody's, the share of corporate board seats held by women at companies at rates in North America has risen by about five percentage points over the past two years, but it's still quite low, just 27% in 2022, up from 22% in 2020. Among private companies, the situation was found to be somewhat worse. Last year, a study showed that women hold just 14% of board seats among the firms examined by researchers, up from 11% in 2020 and 7% in 2019. And over in healthcare, organizations have similarly lagged on board gender equity, with Equilar's 2021 diversity index finding that only 71 companies have boards where half the members are women. The Women on Boards Law, along with another California statute that had required corporate diversity from certain racial, ethnic, or LGBTQ groups, have been credited with spurring at least some of this progress. Will California's legal decisions halt the headway toward achieving gender balance on corporate boards? I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. As a healthcare venture investor, Lisa Sunin, managing partner of consulting firm Venture Valkyrie, has advocated for more board diversity. She's a co-founder of C-Sweetener, a mentoring group whose mission is to improve gender equity and healthcare leadership. And she's also served on over 20 boards of directors. We spoke to her about what this decision means for the push to improve the standing of women on corporate boards, and even amid pressing concerns over the economy in general, why healthcare companies in particular should make a concerted effort to improve their gender ratio. But first, some housekeeping items. Now live on our site, mmm-online.com, are the full profiles for MMM's Women of Distinction Class of 2022. The Women of Distinction program, of course, celebrates the individuals whose leadership, creativity, and insight continue to inspire everyone who encounters them. Along with the accompanying Women to Watch list, these groups have set the bar high, both for their peers and generations to follow. And join us on Tuesday, June 7th in NYC for the Women of Distinction Forum and Awards event. For more information or to register, visit mmmwomenofdistinction.com. And now back to our show. Lisa, as I said in my intro, you've served on many boards. You're also a healthcare VC, which gives you a certain perspective and appreciation for the topic of board representation as it relates to company performance. Can you talk about why you've been a supporter of this cause? You know, I think about it from two sides, really. You know, as a as a venture investor for many years, I think about it from what's best for shareholders, what's best for companies, and what's best for returns. And there have been study after study after study that have shown that companies that have diverse workforces, diverse boards, diverse leadership have higher profitability, you know, higher earnings per share, higher revenues, just altogether more satisfied employees. You know, I think we all know in well, not everybody perhaps, but most people feel intuitively that, you know, diversity of thinking creates better outcome. Um, so that's the first reason I care about it. But the second reason is just fundamentally, you know, why should there not be equality in these issues? As with most things, there's not, but there should be. And, you know, if women represent half of the population or slightly more than half of the population, why should they not represent half of the board seats or something approximating that. 
Sure. And we're kind of encountering this situation in marketing, healthcare marketing, you know, where the, the companies uh, that are in healthcare that are purporting to be serving their populations, uh, which are as diverse as, as the fabric of this country, uh, do not have proper representation in, in the marketing boardrooms either. And, and that's why a lot of times the marketing efforts fall flat. So kind of where, you know, if you scale that up, you know, to the decisions that a company makes as a whole, you see the importance of, of having proper diversity on, on boards as well. <laughs> but what, what what about in healthcare? Can you talk about, you know, it's really um, not much better. It's a little better in healthcare now, um, but it, you know, hasn't traditionally been much better. And the reason now is because there's been laws trying to force this issue, but not just in healthcare across the board. But I think, you know, ironically, I've, you know, seen boards focused on, you know, things like gynecology, where the majority of people are men. And it's kind of hilarious listening to those conversations. Hilarious, haha, not that funny, really. Um, you know, I, I 80, you know, the statistic that's always thrown around is 85% of healthcare decisions are made by women. I'm sure it's probably about right. You know, in most families, the mom, you know, the wife, uh, the female takes care of the healthcare decisions in a in a, in a family. Um, and unless you're single and male, you know, that's probably what's happening. And um, we all know in every industry, regardless of industry, that understanding your customer, your consumer is important to having the right product. And once again, you know, over and over, we see, products and services that really just don't serve women well, which is pretty unfortunate if they're the customer. So it seems to be quite intuitive and obvious why this is important, but uh, healthcare is not, you know, they've done, like I said, they've done a little bit lighter, bit better lately, but not markedly so. It's kind of amazing. It is amazing, especially as this problem has been percolating for so long. So let's talk about the statute. California's Women on Boards Law also known by its bill number, SB 826, had required companies to place at least one woman on their board by the end of 2019 or face a penalty. It also required companies with five directors to have at least two women by the end of 2021 and companies with six or more directors to have at least three women by the end of 2021. Among the reasons the judge gave for overturning the law, the state, quote unquote, failed to sufficiently prove that the law's use of a gender-based classification was necessary to boost California's economy, improve opportunities for women in the workplace, and protect California taxpayers, public employees, pensions, and retirees. Uh, so definitely some careful wording there. But were you surprised by this verdict? I was actually. Uh, I was surprised and, and irritated. Um, how that how you could come to that? This is either extremely bad lawyering <laughs> um, on the defense side, or it is. Um, shocking disregard for the myriad of studies that have shown the difference in outcome when there's women involved in companies at leadership and on board levels. Um, and how you, you know, if our economy in California specifically, um, where I am is, you know, dependent on companies in, you know, in all sorts of industries being started, especially, and the preponderance of companies that go public you know, come from the preponderance of companies that go private, which is here, um, how they could, you know, not equate those increased profitability issues, the increased revenue, you know, lower turnover, et cetera, with better for the economy, I, I cannot even imagine. I mean, all you have to do is a quick Google search and you'll see studies from McKinsey and, you know, Deloitte and, you, you know, very respected organizations, you know, of all, of all types, public and private. And you, it's not really that arguable of a, of a condition. 
Right. So, so maybe it will, uh, it will be um, appealed, but uh, we'll see. Maybe. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Um, you know, there's also a NASDAQ rule that's been passed that has a similar type of requirement for NASDAQ companies. So public companies across the nation. And, um, you know, it requires, I believe, two uh, female board members <clears throat> by the, I think it's 2024. So, you know, in, th in theory, the same, you know, kind of thing. Only public boards, these things apply to. Um, and that also has been challenged, you know, so we'll see what happens with that law as or that rule as well. Right. So NASDAQ's board diversity rule, which aims to encourage a minimum board diversity objective for companies listed on that exchange, uh, will be phased in over the next couple of years. As far as California's women on boards law, last week's ruling came a month after a California judge found that one of the state's 2020 laws, this one requiring companies to have a minimum number of directors from certain racial, ethnic or LGBTQ groups, was unconstitutional as well. Uh, both statutes were to be phased in over time, and the expectation was that their effect would be felt beyond just company boards in California, since many companies headquartered there also operate in other states and internationally. So do you think that, at least for the few years the laws have been on the books, uh, the effect of the two statutes has been felt in terms of progress in making boards more heterogeneous, or have they not really uh, moved the needle all that much as far as gender balance? And, and what have been some of the hurdles to those efforts? Well, I mean, <laughs> they've made progress, but have they made good enough progress? That's a real question. So progress, a statistic for you, um, and a report done by um, Crunchbase and Him For Her uh, came out not too long ago about private companies, and it said women holding percentage, women holding board seats among private companies has gone from 7% in 2019 to 11% in 2020 to 14% in 2021. Well, that's real progress. It doubled from a pathetically no num low number, you know. So, um, you know, and a lot of the private company, you know, what what you know, private companies do. So there goes the public company. Although the pressure to affect the, the change the board on the public companies and higher is actually a higher proportion of women on public boards because of the rules and because of the not just the laws and the regulations, but the the um, you know, institutional investors who support those companies that sharehold, you know, hold the shares in those companies, buy those those shares, have become very sensitive to the issue of, of diversity as well. They care about the returns for their, you know, investment. And they, I think, you know, they've drunk that legitimate Kool-Aid that it makes a difference. So they're also, in many cases, you know, watching this and, and encouraging and demanding diversity in boards. But, you know, if you think about it a different way that, you know, three quarters of private company boards, private companies now don't have any women on them. That's pretty sad, really. And, you know, it flows down from the fact that most of the investors in private companies are men also. You still preponderance of VCs and um, are, are men. And the preponderance of people whose job title has read CEO has been men. And a lot of times when people are recruiting for boards, they want somebody who's been a CEO or like a CEO, which is, you know, hard for women to achieve. A lot of times there's, there's, you know, anybody who thinks there's not still um, prejudice is uh, sorely mistaken, unfortunately. 
I'd like to get your take on the situation among Silicon Valley firms. Uh, Rock Health, I know, has done some research there. According to a 2018 study, only 10.2% of CEOs at digital health startups were women, which was up from 8.8% in 2015. Along those lines, only 12.2% of partners at digital health VC firms were female. So again, another study finding that the percentage of women in healthcare leadership is growing, albeit slowly. What's your take on that and, and what impact will the California rulings have? In healthcare, the numbers are a little better. I don't have the specific numbers, but I know they're a little better. I think Rock Health has done some work on this, but I'd have to go look for it, to be honest. Um, um, but again, a lot of the activity was spurred by the, the law and um, in California. And, you know, it's not there yet and whether or not the pressure to continue that effort will stay is unknown. You know, we, you'd hope so. You'd hope that people have seen the light and the benefit of making these decisions, but um, you know, people tend to revert to the mean um, and to select board members from people they know and people had tend to hang out with people like them. And that's, you know, it's a long chain of misery there. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, there was a, a, a Fenwick annual survey on gender diversity that I read about. Um, on, at, uh, this was taken among Silicon Valley firms, and that showed a notable tick upward in women board members since the passage of the 2018 law. So as you say, uh, there was progress that was spurred by this law. So this ruling was a setback, not only for California's efforts to mandate board diversity, but a disappointment in light of the ongoing push to diversify boards of both public and private companies, including those in healthcare across the nation. How broadly will this be felt? Well, there've been a lot of other states that have talked about passing laws like this. And now I think that they'll expect it to be struck down so they won't, um, which is probably a fair guess, you know, to be honest. Um, you know, our, our Supreme Court at the current moment um, probably would uphold those, those decisions based on the way it's going. Um, so I think it, it's causes a giant step back. You know, women took the brunt of the economic impact of COVID. The vast majority of jobs lost were held by women. Um, there was one month, I think it was December of 2020. I'm pretty sure that's right. Was it 2020 or 21? Now I can't remember. I think it was 2020 that 100% of the jobs lost were by women. <laughs> you know, it's pretty stunning statistics, right? So I think, um, in our current moment where women are taking a step backwards, not forwards, you know, you see incidents of more female CEOs in, in young healthcare companies. Um, women have, you know, there've been programs, private programs to help women move up, including C-Sweetener that I started and others. Um, but boy, you know, it doesn't just take a village. It, it, it takes, you know, a country. <laughs> right. And you mentioned C-Sweetener, which of course is an organization that you co-founded whose aim is to match women rising in leadership with mentors who will be able to help them do that. What other resources are available to help women who may be looking for a board seat or companies looking to recruit a woman to fill a seat? How, how can you give us- Well, it was, it was really founded to match women rising in leadership with mentors who will help them do that. There are other organizations like um, Breaking Into the Boardroom and-, and uh, uh, women who lead 
who are focused specifically on helping women get board seats. And there's, there's several of those that are really great organizations. Um, so there's efforts. I mean, there's real effort. It's just slow, you know? Sure. Sure. Okay. So you've shared with me some of the impediments to improving women's standing on corporate boards. What are you encouraged by? Well, I'm encouraged that some companies have, you know, really read the, the cultural tea leaves, you know, and, and realized not just that it's right to be diverse in their thinking and their boards um, and their management teams, but that is good for business. And so there are people that are now of their own volition, you know, making those choices and, and um, moving the ball forward. And there's, and I, and I really think that it is important that men get in on that. Right. I think like this organization, him for her, for instance, is really important because I think it's a, it's fine for women to raise their hand and, you know, fight. In fact, it's great, but unless men listen and participate, you know, it's not going to change. We just, they have too much power. Um, and so there are people who I think are visibly becoming advocates who are visibly taking action and, you know, more power to those guys. I, you know, that's much appreciated by everybody, including the shareholders of businesses who improve because they do the right thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's few things you can do in business where it's the right thing and the more profitable thing. It's usually a different trade-off, right? Oftentimes businesses have to trade off between what's right to do and what's right for business. In this case, you can do the same thing together, right for business, right for profits. <sighs> Why people don't just you know, run to make that choice. I cannot imagine. Right. You don't, you, you don't have too many uh, decisions that, that are kind of like the, the match really. up there. Yeah. yeah. One more question. I'll let you go, Lisa. So what happens now? You know, where, where does this movement go from here? Well, I suspect there'll be a lot of litigation about this back and forth. It'll go to the, you know, appeals court and things like that. Um, and I also think there will be continued grassroots efforts to, to move the ball forward I think from, you know, I live in the world of private companies mostly, and um, I really would like to see a lot more effort on the part of private companies to, um, to think about this proactively, you know, as opposed to be, you know, pointed at and bugged to do the right thing. Because, you know, companies that grow up with diverse boards will mature with diverse boards. And that's a great, that's great for business. And again, as a, as a purely, financial, you know, thinking decision, it's, it's a good thing to do. So you should want to do it if you're a CEO. Um, so hopefully, you know, people will start to believe uh, in healthcare where I work, you know, it's so important to understand your customer and to be thinking about the business strategy with respect to that customer. And the board has a clear role in that. And, um, it's just bad business not to pay attention here. A really interesting way for men to look at it or for everyone to look at it is if you were two kids sitting at a table with a box of cookies and one kid got two cookies and one kid got, you know, six cookies, nobody would think that was fair. And while, you know, if, <laughs> but yet, that's what's happening on the boards, right? Is, is you know, and, and oftentimes it's more like one kid got eight cookies and one, one kid got none. So, you know, always the, the parent would come in and say, no, 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 you have to split that fairly. It's good for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, the, the really enlightened kids would do it themselves. So we should be thinking about it that way. The right thing to do is, is, to, is to be diverse and to reap the benefits of that for the companies that, that we fund. Okay, indeed. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, Lisa. You bet. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.